Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to the following message provided by Renewed Church. We pray that this message will be a blessing and encouragement for you. For more information about our church, please visit www.renew.miami. All right. Well, welcome once again. Again, my name is Pastor Mikey. I am uh, clearly not Pastor Trevor, um, so you got to deal with me this morning. No, but we are in week one of Cinderella Stories. This brand new series we're doing. So for the next few weeks, we are going to focus on talking about Disney princesses and how they relate. No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. That's not what Cinderella Stories is about. Cinderella Stories are just these, uh, these, these underdog stories, these comeback stories, right? Uh, look at the Miami Heat. That's it. Come on. Eight seed, going to beat Boston in four and going to beat Denver in five. It's an underdog story, right? The Florida Panthers. Underdog story, eight seed. It's crazy how the Heat and the Panthers have like literally had the same storylines. Is this arguably the greatest like South Florida postseason of all time? Go, Martin. Go what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Boo. <laughs> no, so underdog stories, comeback stories. That's going to be the focus of this series, and we're gonna we're gonna get it off, man. And but 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 first, I think I want to I want to settle something pretty serious. Um, is anybody in here a Spider-Man fan? Just raise it. Raise my hand. Spider-Man. Okay, cool. Yeah, we got some Spidey fans. Okay. Um, well, let's settle something. Toby, Andrew, or Tom? Andrew, Andrew, Tom. Tom. Andrew, Tom. If you have no idea why people are screaming out random names... Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland are the three actors who have played Spider-Man in the movies, and you heard the name, the right answer to that question, ladies and gentlemen, is Tom Holland, okay? 100%. Tom Holland. It's the most comic book accurate version of Spider-Man. Let's be real. Tobey Maguire, painfully awkward, right? Just painfully awkward. Andrew Garfield, way too cool. Guy's like in a skateboard, he's picking up all the late, like, no. That's not Spider-Man. Tom, he's got that good mix of like, he's geeky, but he's also you know, charismatic. Like it's, it's just believable. I think Tom is the most comic book accurate version of Spider-Man. You can debate me after service if you disagree and humbly lose, okay? Um, but I love those movies. I love the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, especially Spider-Man Homecoming. If you haven't seen it, man, it's just, it's a great movie. Um, man, there's that scene with Michael Keaton when he's in the car and he realizes that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. It's unbelievable. Watch the movie, okay? Watch the movie. But one of the things I like about that movie is that throughout the whole movie, there's this, like, mentor-mentee relationship between Spider-Man, Peter Parker, and, and Iron Man, Tony Stark. And Peter, he's starting off his, like, you know, superhero career, and he's just got, like, a hoodie and, like, some goggles on, right? So Tony Stark comes in. He upgrades his, his suit, right? It's got like tech and it just gives him so much more capabilities and more potential and he can just do so much more. But you see this like this battle in the movie where Peter's just not ready. Like he's a kid. He's just, he's immature. He's screwing it up. He's kind of selfish. Like he's just not, he's not acting the way he needs to act. He's not acting like he, he, he should be in the suit, right? And so it gets to a point where Tony sees this and he takes the suit away from him in the movie. And it's this, like, this pivotal moment where it's like, okay, kid, like, you say you want to be Spider-Man. Great. Well, you're not doing anything that Spider-Man has to do. 
You got to be selfless, right? You got to make sure that your character is there. You got you to be wise. You, you, you can't just do whatever you want or you can't just do this the way you want. There's, you you got to be ready. You got to know what's going to be required of you. And then Peter Parker kind of has like this, this underdog story. He's like down and out. He, he doesn't know what to do. His, his suit is gone. He's, he's trying to figure out whether he wants to do this or not. He kind of like starts living high school life, right? Like dating and stuff like that. But in this process, there's this cool character arc where he humbles himself. He, he, he's down and out. But in that process, he was trying to figure it out. And he was seeking like, man, okay, what do I, what do I need to be Spider-Man? And in that process, he, he began to mature. He began to realize, wait a second, this is bigger than myself. Wait a second, this is going to require sacrifice. Wait a second, I can't try to do it all. There, there, there's going to be something re- specific required of me. And what happens? He saves the day at the end of the movie. He does it the right way, and he gets the suit back. But he got the suit back because he understood what he was signing up for to be Spider-Man. There was this crossroads. He could say, yep, I know the sacrifice. I know what it's going to take. Or, nah, this is too much. I don't, I, I don't think I want to do this. And so why am I talking about this? Well, we're going to do this service. We're going to pray for Spider-Man powers. So that, No, I'm just kidding. No, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to get into the book of Acts. And just to give you some background as to what's going on in the book of Acts, this is the early church, literally like the beginning of the church. And Jesus, he just wrote out, right? He was... He was uh, crucified, buried, resurrected, hung out with the disciples a little bit, and then he went back up to be with the Father. And the disciples, they're in this spot where it's, it's kind of tense. Like, th- they could die for professing Jesus, right? Like, but, and Jesus just left. Like, the guy that they've been following for three years, they thought he was dead. He comes back. Like, imagine the emotional roller coaster they're on, and then he's like, yeah, and I'm leaving again, right? And they're like, but what, what do we do? Like, th- our heads are wanted, you're not here. We want to do this, but we have no idea what to do. So it's this super duper tense moment, right? They want to follow Jesus. They want the purpose. They want the mission, but Jesus left and they're wanted. It doesn't look good, right? It's kind of an underdog story. And so we're going to get into these passages, but one thing I like to encourage people to do is, is when we're reading New Testament um, narrative and stuff like that, it's good to almost read it like you're reading a novel, right? Like when you read uh, Narnia or Lords of the Rings, you're, you're putting yourself into that world, right? Like you're not just reading words just to read them, but like you're picturing the, 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 the context and the background and these characters. So as we read these passages, try to put yourself in here and see what's going on. Let's get into it. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. These are the, the disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there dwelling in Jerusalem were Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound... The multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. Let's unpack this. A lot of weird stuff happening in this passage. The disciples are there. They're chilling. They're like, they're just, they're they're, they're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And out of the blue, God's like, "Uh, Holy Spirit, over. Holy Spirit's like, "Uh, yes, Father God. 
um, you're on. Boom! Holy Spirit comes into the scene. These guys are in a room. Imagine you're in the room, right? You're just, you're having a debate about Spider-Man. And tongues of fire are in your face. That is weird. You're freaking out. Like, you're just there, and then all of a sudden, right? Peter's like looking around like, what is happening? What is going on? And then not only that, this, these tongues of fire, it goes inside of you, and then you start speaking in other languages. And then to make it even weirder, thousands of Jews, the people who, who thought it was a good idea to crucify Jesus, are around you, and they're like, what are you doing? Put yourself here. How weird, how strange could this situation be? It even says in the passage that the people there thought that they were drunk. You know, God and Jesus are just cracking up at that. Like, <laughs> they think they're drunk. But this moment, this very bizarre, strange moment, this is the moment that the disciples received their suit. What do I mean by that? Okay, you want to follow Jesus. You guys want to do this Christian thing. You, you, you want to do it, right? You want to be, as they said in the early church, they, they called them followers of the way, which I think just sounds super dope. You want to do this, right? Well, here's the spirit that Jesus promised. What are you going to do? You want to do this. You're down and out. You don't know what's going on. Okay, I sent the spirit down. What are you going to do with that? And you're surrounded. You're surrounded by people who put Jesus on a cross. And you, and you want to do this thing. What are you going to do? And here's the thing. Jesus made it very clear what they were to do. When, before Jesus left, these were his orders in Matthew 28, 19. It says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So they were seeking Jesus. The Spirit comes. Now are you going to fulfill the mission? This is what you wanted, right? You wanted to do this. The time is here. And you can get killed, by the way. You're surrounded by, like, you're outnumbered. There's thousands of Jews around you. There's like 11 of you guys. You can get killed for professing Jesus. The Spirit just came right now. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Do you want this? Like, do you guys want to actually do this? Like, it's one thing to say you want to follow Jesus and be a Christian and all that stuff, but, but when it's time to be about it, what are you guys going to do? That, that, that's the situation that Peter and the disciples are in. It makes no sense to preach Jesus to thousands, thousands of people who are literally responsible for putting him on a cross. This is what Peter does. Acts 2.14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. He's talking to, to this crowd. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, 
And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, whom you crucified. Peter wanted the smoke. He did. Peter sees this crowd. He's received the Holy Spirit. He knows the task. It's, we got to make disciples. That's, that's what we got to do. And yeah, thousands of people could kill us for sure. But he felt compelled and he wanted to be obedient to the Lord. And the guy just starts prophesying and preaching the gospel. And, 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 and blatantly tells them, hey, yeah, so you guys killed God, actually. Yeah, you, you killed God. But here's the thing. If you repent and believe... Yeah, you can be saved because all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And by the way, you know you, you killed God, right? It's insane. That's insane. Like, that makes no sense to do, right? But here's something that I think we can learn from Peter. Peter wanted to please God more than man. Peter wanted to please God more than man. How easy would it have been, and logical, to be like, yeah, bro, I ain't doing that. Thousands? And you want me to, to, to tell them what they did and how they can, you know, how they need to be forgiven and all that stuff? Yeah, God, no. Could have done that. It, 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 logically, that, that might make sense. But he wasn't worried about what people thought. Peter wasn't worried about protecting his reputation or, or trying to appease other people for superficial reasons. Well, you know, I don't want them to think I'm weird or, I, you know, God, you know, I kind of don't want to die either. Like, no, 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 no. Peter wanted to please God more than man. So, so God, okay, this is what you want me to do? Okay, all right, God, I don't like it. I think it's kind of weird. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified. But if that's what you say, okay, I want to please you more than I'm pleasing man. So what did he do? He stepped out in faith. He trusted the Spirit. He did the courageous thing. And here's what happened. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, the, the multitude, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized... And there were added that day about 
50,000 souls. Three thousand souls. The Spirit did what the Spirit does. That's it. Makes no sense. Why would you do that? But when you're obedient to the Spirit, the Spirit does what the Spirit does. Made no sense that these people would receive this message. That they would be like, yeah, dude, you're right. It made no sense that that would happen. But that's the power of the gospel. It's this mystery that makes no sense. How can anybody accept that? But it's ignited by the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel, it's, it's like this loaded gun. It, it is. And the power behind it is the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. It makes no sense. It shouldn't change people. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. And this is what happened. These people could kill you for saying what you're saying. But instead they repent and believe. Now, let me ask you, do you think Peter regretted this decision? Like, because remember, he had to make a choice. He's like, okay, um, so Lord, I feel like you're, you're telling me that I should preach and tell these guys that killed you that they killed you, um, okay, or I can just not. He had a choice, but then he, he chose to do what the Lord wanted, and he saw what happened. Do you think Peter regretted his obedience? There's no way. There's no way, right? Revival. Revival has been like a, a topic, like a buzzword, if you will, in, in just in Christian culture, right? With everything that happened at Asbury and all that kind of stuff. This was the first revival. What happened here? 3,000 people coming to Jesus? This is the first revival. This is the first enlightenment. Just people coming to Jesus in the masses. The, the power of the Spirit just unleashed on people and people responding to the gospel. Here's the thing. The Spirit, the Spirit will convict, right? It's not our job to convict. The Spirit will convict people, and it will empower them to respond to the gospel. But people need to preach the gospel. The Spirit will convict. The Spirit will empower a response, but the Spirit needs somebody to say the words, to, to actually share it. And Peter was willing to do that. And this is the same Peter who a few chapters earlier is like Peter Parker, right? Just a screw-up, not getting it right, kind of immature. Denied Jesus to a little girl, right? Like, bro, you are going to leave the church? But through all of that, what did Peter do? He kept on seeking, right? He kept on, like, like when he would screw up, oh, God, I'm sorry. God, help me to figure this thing out. Like, he was committed to figuring it out. He was committed to trying to seek God and do what God wanted him to do, even in spite of all of his mistakes. Even when he was this underdog, him and, and all of the disciples. So what happened? The suit came. The, the opportunity for comeback came. The power, the spirit. But then it was time to be about it. Like, yes, you can have that underdog story. Yes, you're down and out. I get it. The opportunity is here, though. Are, are you going to take it, right? We, we say that we want breakthrough and we want this, and, but when it's there, when the door is open and you got to walk through it and there's some things that you got to give up and there's some sacrifice and, and there's some hard things to it, are you going to walk through that door? Are you going to be obedient? And this is where Peter was. This is where the disciples were. And he was obedient 
And people who, thought, people who nobody thought would be saved were being saved. We say we want revival. Right? We said, yes, when we saw Asbury and, and, you know, Jesus Revolution, the movie, and yes, revival, yes, God, yes, God, yes, Lord, revival. Because I think we can all agree our world, our country is in a bad place. Would anybody disagree with that? No. Our world is in a bad place. Our country's in a bad place. If you're a Christian, I think, I think you would agree that we need revival. We need a bunch of people experiencing Jesus, responding to the gospel, and having their lives radically changed. We need that. That, that would help 100%, right? We want that. So we feel like we're in this underdog story. Man, we need God. Man, this world's going crazy. Oh, man, man, we need revival. We need God. We need all. Man, what's going to happen? All, the doom and gloom, all of this stuff. And, 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 and there's, there's some truth to that. 100%. We need revival. We're in this weird underdog situation. In America, Christians aren't persecuted by no means necessary, but we're definitely not preferred, let's be honest, right? Our, our beliefs, our ways are not preferred in the world. And so we would need some revival. And we say that we want that, but what if God wanted to bring revival through you? Like, what if it was less of just waiting for God? I want revival. And what if God wanted to do something through you? What if he wanted you to stand out in faith and obedience and do something? Like, like are, we got to ask ourselves, yes, the world's in a bad place, we need revival. But are, are we ready to be obedient? <laughs> are, are, yes, the Spirit brought 3,000 people, but guess what? Peter said, God, I, I'll be used. God, use me. I'll, I'll, do the, I'll do the thing, yeah. And God used Peter and 3,000 people came. So are, are, we, are we willing? Are we seeking the Lord? Are we, are we ready to be obedient? Do we want to please God more than man? Ask yourselves. Don't just hear the words I'm saying, but really ask yourself. Do you want to please God more than you want to please man? Do you want to please God more than you want to please yourself? Are we too comfortable are we too comfortable? God, you know, uh, I just got so much stuff going on, God, and, you know, you know I'll, fit, I'll fit some time if I can for you, and, and you know, I'm just, I don't want to rock the boat, you know, what if people think I'm weird, or what if it starts an argument, or are we too comfortable? What is this? Are, are we bold? Are we courageous? Again, what if God wants to bring revival through his people? Because Revival, how do you know revival is revival? It's not just the event. It's not just the bunch of people coming to Jesus. It's the fruit that lasts after that. It's people coming to Jesus and then their lives being changed and there being tangible difference and change in their lives. That they were one way and now they're another way. Because a ton of people love having emotional experiences, but emotional experiences aren't revival. Revival is people that are turning to God and living for God and staying there. That's the fruit of revival. And so, again, we're here, God, please do something. God's like, I'm trying. I'm trying to. But would you be willing to be used by me? Would you be willing to be obedient? Would you be willing to put yourself out there? Would you be willing to have uncomfortable conversations? Would you be willing to forgive? Would you be willing to do the things that I'm calling you to do so that my, your people, these people here on earth, can experience who I am? Are, are you willing to do that? Or do we want to just wait for God? 
See, here's the thing. The Great Commission, the call to make disciples, Jesus didn't just say that to them. This is his command for the church, for all who will be Christians. Our mission is to go and make disciples. Not to go and make converts, to go and make disciples that still stand. That's our mission. That's what Jesus commissioned us to do. But let's be honest. Do we care? Do we care about that? Do we care about the words of Jesus? Do we have a sense of urgency to, 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 to do something and say something and be something? Do, do we have that? Do we feel that? Peter did. The disciples did. And because of that, a fire started. Just a, a small group of guys just willing to be obedient and do whatever for the Lord started this little spark and it, fl- and, and, and it spread to thousands. It spread to thousands. Disciples were made. People were saved. If we're honest in this room, some of us have, we're Christians. We've received the Spirit. And who remembers those early days of your walk where you're just on fire? Nobody can tell you nothing. You want to tell any and everybody about Jesus. You, you're, you're all about it, right? You're, you're just, yes, you, you got the t-shirts on, Jesus never tapped, and you know, all that stuff. You got the WWJD, right? Like, you're, you're, you're just like, yeah, this is what I'm about. This is my thing. But if we're honest, at times, or even now, that fire is not that bright. That fire, it's just, it's not that hot. We're not that willing, as we once were, to go all in, to step out, to be obedient, to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations, to be on fire. And so what's the, what's the challenge? The challenge is that we still have a job to do as a church. We've got to make disciples. Right? Parents, you've got to make disciples of your kids. Not converts. Not, well, you know, if they want to call to make disciples to that coworker, to that friend, to that sibling. We're called to make disciples. And in this discipleship process, Sometimes you've got to say some uncomfortable things. Sometimes you've you, you got to speak out and say something. This, this spirit of passivity that we've adopted is horrible. Horrible. It's just not Christian. It, 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 look at what Peter did. We're called to make disciples. And discipleship is hard. Discipleship is, is sacrifice. I've got to sacrifice some of my life to pour into somebody else. And, and to keep them accountable, and to love on them, and to care for them, and to be gracious with them, and to walk with them, and to guide them. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. It's not an option. But how do we do this? How do we get this fire started? How do we, how do we continue to do this and make sure the fire stay? Look at what the early church did. After this amazing revival, this is what they did to keep that fire. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We argue about whether we should give 10%. These people would have laughed in our faces. They gave everything. That's another sermon for another day. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what's the resolution? How do we do this? See, these new converts and even even the, the apostles, they didn't just add Christianity to their already busy lives. It wasn't like a supplement that they just put in there just, let me see if I can fit this in. No. They devoted themselves to their Christian experience. It wasn't just this thing that they added. It was, no, this is my life. I'm a Christian, and I'm going to devote myself to the things of God and stay with the people of God and grow in the things of God. Not, well, if I have time. No, this was the thing. This was their life, and they gave everything for it. And so here we are, and are we willing to devote ourselves to our Christian experience? Because here's a hard pill to swallow. And I say it because I love you. The gospel should change your priorities. The gospel should change your priorities. If you're a Christian who's responded to the gospel, there's no way that your priorities and your, and your, your outlook and the things that you put value on can stay the same. There's just no way. There's, there's just no way. What do we prioritize? Like, seriously, I'm asking you, what do we prioritize? Think about that for yourself. What do you prioritize? Are we making room for God? Are we making room to seek out God? And, 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 and are we making room for, the, for godly things and the people of God and, and, and the house of God? And are, are, we, are we trying to commit ourselves to our Christian experience? Or are we just trying to fit it in if it fits? You see, the early church, they were about this because they understood what was at hand. They were willing to give everything, sacrifice everything, because they knew what was at hand. And what was at hand? Salvation. It's just life and death. Like, there is not a single issue on planet Earth that is more important than salvation. I don't, I don't care about your politics. The most important issue in the world is salvation and how people need to know Jesus and come to Jesus and respond to the gospel and give everything for him. They understood that. They were serious about it. That's the heart of Christianity. This is how this movement started. Here's another tough pill. When you realize your need for salvation, it's impossible to not care about everyone else's. When you realize your need for salvation, it's impossible to not care about everyone else's because you understand what this is and what you've been saved from and how ignorant we've been. And and how rebellious we are. And how gracious God is in spite of that. God, forgive us if we don't care about other people's salvation. And here's the thing. It wasn't all rainbows and butterflies. As this thing spread, many people died. Like the, the apostles, many of them were brutally murdered. Martyred for their faith. But they were willing because their priorities were changed. They understood that their sacrifice meant something. They understood the urgency of this mission, and if that's what it was calling them to do, then Lord, use me. God, God, I am not my own, but I am yours. Wherever you want me to go, that's where I'll go, because I understand what's at hand. Salvation. And they knew that not everybody would receive it. They knew that. They knew that some would hate them. They knew that some would kill them. 
but they knew that some would be saved. And that was worth it. Some would hear it and be like, nah, no, that ain't it. I'm a sinner, uh, no, no, you're full of crap. You're an idiot. Jesus says in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. In other words, you're in good company. If people dislike you, if people judge you for your faith, you're in good company. Because they hated Jesus before they hated any one of us. And that's what this is. That's the cost. That's the reality. But if you understand what's at stake, then who cares? Because I want to please God more than pleasing man. I don't have your approval? Okay, fine. I love you. I want you to be saved. See, I believe that if you don't think you need to be forgiven, you don't get it. If you don't think that you need to be forgiven, then I, I don't think you get it. The gospel is offensive. Like the, the, the gospel should make you feel some kind of way. It says that these guys were cut to the heart. It's not like this sugar-coated, like, everything is awesome. No, there's some bad news. There's some bad news. And we need to have the conversation. And it might make you feel some kind of way. But it's life-saving. It's offensive to the proud. I believe this. The gospel is offensive to the proud person. How dare you say that I'm a sinner? How dare you say that I'm living against, against God? How dare you say that I'm not a good person? Okay? I mean, I, I check all those boxes. It's not just you. But, but if you don't want to, okay? It's offensive to the proud, but it's life-saving to the broken. To the person who knows and is like, yes, dude, I'm broken, bro. Like, I need help. I, I'm not a good person. I, I, I have this shame. I have this guilt. I, I need something. <laughs> the gospel's life-saving. It's the best news in the world to that person because you can be forgiven for everything you've ever done. You can be transformed, be in relationship with God. When God sees you, he smiles. And he says, son, and he says, daughter. And you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, and it helps you, and it empowers you, and it helps you to continue to become like Jesus, and you don't have to be a slave to your sin anymore. That's why I love our Hope Center guys. Our Hope Center guys, they're this ministry that we have, uh, drug and alcohol recovery, and you don't need to convince those guys that they need Jesus. You don't need to convince those guys that they need to be forgiven and repent of their sin, right? And so when they hear that, oh, wait, you're telling me there's a God that can forgive me of everything I've done, Give me a, a brand new heart, for, like I have a clean slate, and then I can be in relationship with him? Yes, sign me up for that because I need that, right? But if we're honest, we look at their sin and it's a little bit more obvious, right? And we look at them and we're like, yeah, they're bad, but we're not that bad, right? Here's the thing. The gospel doesn't care about your social standards, okay? Because we're just as sinful as those guys. And we need to repent and believe in Jesus and receive the forgiveness just as much as they do. So your little suburban dream where you're not that bad and, and maybe you, you do this and that, you're just as sinful as a drug, as someone who's on drugs or someone who's an alcoholic. And you need the same grace and the same forgiveness that they do. And that's the stupidity of our society. That sin is sin and we all need to repent of it. There's not graves to sin. It's sin and we need to repent of it. Because that's what, that's what the gospel calls us to do. Oh, but I don't want to rock the boat. That's your kid, man. 
right? That's your family member. If not you, who's going to disciple them? Who's going to correct them? Who's going to share the uncomfortable truth? No, but what they're doing isn't that bad. Okay, see what this looks like six months from now. Are you just waiting on God? Or are you going to be obedient and do something? And so we're going to give an invitation to anybody who maybe has never responded to the gospel. Maybe you've never fully given everything up to Jesus. You can have that opportunity to do that right here and right now. Or maybe you have, and maybe you, you, you're far off, and, and, and you just, you just want to come back. You want to come back home. Right now, today can be the day of salvation. With all heads bowed and eyes closed. If this is you, if you're saying, yes, Mikey, I'm broken. I'm full of shame. I'm full of guilt. Like, yes, I'm, 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 I'm trying to do things in my own power. And yes, there's some things that I'm like, yeah, I know God doesn't want this for me, but I'm going to do it anyways. But, but you're coming to this point where you're like, yeah, but my life isn't working out. Mikey, my life isn't working out. I'm trying to do what I want, and I'm not giving God everything. And if I'm honest with you, my life is not working out. And if you're ready to say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. Jesus, I'm going to surrender it all. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from my ways and agree with you. What you say is right is right, and what you say is wrong is wrong, and I'm going to follow that. If that's you, and you want to be forgiven and restored and have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just boldly, in the spirit of a Christian, lift your hand right where you are. Amen. I see your hand. Amen. Amen. I see your hand. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. Come on now. Come on. We're going to pray a prayer. We can all pray it together. It's not the words that save you. It's the heart. It's the decision that you're making inside. And it goes like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sin. I know that I'm against you. I know that I'm a sinner. And I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. God, I agree with you. What you say goes. Give me the strength to turn from my sinful ways. Give me your spirit. Carry me through. Help me to stay committed to you and your church. In Jesus' name, amen. You please stand with us for worship. to glory. 
Jesus has. 